Welcome to the 11 Dubcast. I am Johnny. He is Andy. We've got all kinds of things to talk about today. We've got some new things we're going to try out. We've got some things that we got to get into that hopefully won't infuriate the rest of the, you know, Ohio State blogging world, but it might. Um, but I want to start off with some news here. We got we got some news today. We're recording this on Sunday. It looks like Luther Muhammad is going to be transferring out of the program. And look, we can talk about what this means overall for the team. What's I'm going to be interested in and what I think the larger question that is going to be answered probably in the next couple of months is what does this mean for Ohio State as a program and Chris Holtman as a coach? Because you've seen a lot of starters, a lot of guys who were major contributors to the team um, peace out in the past you know couple of months here. So what how do you how are you feeling about this, Andy? Is this is this a blip on the radar? Is this just kind of those weird confluence of of events or do you think this is a trend is this something where it would raise alarm flags if you were a uh ohio state basketball fan i mean i don't know if i'm ready to raise alarm flags i'll say eyebrows you know so when i saw that yeah. news come through it, it, it my eyebrows kind of quirked up a little bit i listeners of the podcast will know i've been pretty all in on chris holtman so i'm not going to pull the ripcord on that just because um a couple guys transferred off the team i'm setting DJ Carton aside and saying that's kind of its own little thing and, you know, might've happened wherever he was. And I'm not going to lay that on Chris Holtman's doorstep. You know, I look back at um, the stats for Luther Muhammad this year and like, he's a seven point a game guy, uh, you know, a couple rebounds, a couple assists. So you're not talking about losing an obvious lottery pick here you know after a season and I wouldn't say that he made any great leap from his freshman to his sophomore season but that said with just where the roster is in general thought uh, our man Colin Hasshill summed it up pretty well in his um, impact piece on the transfer there's just a lot of uncertainty about next year's team um and, and I think probably a pretty range of possible outcomes. Uh, Colin talked about, you know, you could, are they going to be awesome? Are they going to be a hot mess? Maybe somewhere in between 50, 50 time will tell, but there's just a lot more uncertainty. Now you're losing um, the Wesson brothers. Uh, so a lot of experience there. Now you've got, you know, Muhammad is probably your best on ball defender as Colin pointed out. Um, Carton had all that upside potential, Gaffney uh, potential, and then Gaffney is a, a um, four-star freshman, you know, all gone in the space of a year. But, hey, good news, with Seth Towns coming in, you've got to think Ohio State will be in the market for another grad transfer type player, somebody with immediate eligibility. And you feel like you've got some more scoring potential coming in and just suing. Um, you've got Zed Key coming in. So, you know, you've got some guys that are going to add some juice to the roster. But, no, it's not great, right? You don't like to see people – leaving the program. Um, but I, I, I just think it's, I think that this news is all heightened by the fact that we don't have any real sports to watch right now. So people <laughs> are, you know, on Twitter freaking out and ready to sure. sell their Chris Holtman stock because they don't have anything else to take their mind off people leaving the basketball team. I look, I'll be honest. I, I think this is legit for people to freak out about at least a little bit. Muhammad was given 26 minutes a game. He was, one of the team's best defenders. I I don't know, man. I, you really got to lean on the offensive side of the ball, I think, a lot harder uh, with his presence not being there. And, and look, Seth Towns is going to be a guy who's going to do a lot of things for Ohio State offensively. But I, I don't know, man. The uncertainty is what bothers me a lot. And if anything could be said about this past Ohio State team, this past season's Ohio State team, 
that you could say 95% of the time, this is their identity is that they would play tough defense, not necessarily good defense, right? They would do a lot of dumb stuff on defense. And sometimes they got burned by players who just got hot and they didn't have an answer for it, but they gave effort. And Muhammad was one of those high effort guys that I just, you want to have as the core of your team. And for him to be leaving, uh, you know, look, maybe he believes he can get more time uh, elsewhere, be a really like a solidified starter, get some more points. But I just, I don't know. I, I really think that's the kind of guy that fits well with Holtman's system. And to me, it sucks that he's gone. I, I don't I don't think it's going to change them from being, you know, a top 25 team to an also ran in the Big Ten. But I do think that's a pretty heavy loss. And, and hopefully some of the additions, like you said, you can get a transfer in, you got it, Towns coming in. Hopefully that can, you know, make up for that. But you're losing a lot. You really are. I mean, you talk about, you know, the Wessons leaving, Caleb getting an agent and all that. I, I think that's pretty much done. I don't see that dude, you know, I, I know that he can come back after getting an agent and you don't have to to go out, but I think this is an indication that he's he's pretty much done so. So you're losing yeah, a lot. I, mean, I, I think I think you're right that you know, if I were going to bet the farm on it, I'd say he's gone. I, I am kind of intrigued. This is a sidebar to what we're talking about sure. with uh, um, Muhammad leaving, but I am intrigued to see how that situation plays out to see, you know, what kind of evaluation he gets um, going into the draft when the draft actually happens and all that sort of thing. <laughs> right. um, because I think if I were him, I'd be looking at a lot of uncertainty there too. And I think his, his stock, um, could stand to go up a little bit the tournament would have helped him i think um provided he played you know well obviously but i think those extra um minutes of camera time in front of decision makers but but we'll see i'm i'm just really interested to see where where he ends up what you know if it's playing in the league or if it's making bank uh somewhere overseas who knows but uh, that's an interesting situation and it's just you know a confluence of events as you said earlier on the fact that all of these things are happening at the same time, um, you know, makes it seem like a bigger deal than it would. If, if this is one guy leaving um, and you didn't have Caleb going off to, to test the waters and uh, Andre graduating and, and hadn't already had two transfers out and you say, Oh, that's shucks. That's too bad. Um, but you know, cause you, cause again, it's, you're not losing a 20 point a game guy, you know, so I think that's where, to me, that's where this team really needs somebody to step up. And I yeah. don't know that he was going to be that guy. However, comma, you're 100%, 100% spot on about the energy brought on the other end of the floor. And that's a big part of Ohio State's identity. So, yeah, no, I, no, it's a valid point, though. You're right. The biggest need was scoring. And hopefully Towns can kind of address some of that. And, and loss of Luther Muhammad is not going to you know, I think impact the overall, you know, it's guys getting like eight points a game. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's going to be really interesting. And I think that Chris Holtman's got a lot to figure out in this off season, you know, a longer off season than usual. And maybe that's a bad thing too, sometimes where you've got, you know, people sitting around and there isn't a whole lot to pe- keep people engaged. And, you know, as players, you want to make sure that you're, you're, you know, staying with the team and you've got opportunities and all that other kind of stuff. And if it feels like you're not, as involved as you could have been during the season, I think having this situation where we're all just kind of in stasis exacerbates it. I think it makes it worse. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because in watching the recruiting thing, and I've talked on here before about how recruiting's just not quite my tempo, but sure. You know, the, the, the Twitter 
drama is the wrong word, but that's the only word I can come up with off the top of my head. But the Twitter drama you see from recruits who seem to really enjoy the recruiting process mm-hmm. seems to be exacerbated by the fact that we don't have anything else to oh, do sure. sit around the house and be on Twitter. Like right. you just, you know, you, you see stuff and you're like, Oh God, I wish that kid wasn't on Twitter, you know, whoever it was. <laughs> and, and the, you know, I wonder with the transfer portal, you know, how much of that, you know, you're sitting around here thinking, okay. Uh, and, and I, I've read a couple different people, including um, Colin's piece, you know, talking about Muhammad wanting some more, offensive freedom, I guess was, was the, the phrase that I saw used a couple times, uh, one yeah. the offense to run more through him. I mean that, you know, it's, playing time obviously wasn't an issue. He's getting plenty of playing time, but if you want to be the guy with the ball in your hands all the time and, and coach says, yep, sorry, that's not really how we're going to run this thing. <laughs> uh, you know, then you're sitting around the apartment or you're sitting around mom and dad's or wherever the heck you're sitting around. Maybe you do start looking and saying the old grass is greener on the other side. Yeah. And, and look, honestly, if that's how he feels about it, I don't, A, I don't blame him for testing the waters other places. I don't think that's the worst thing for him to think about doing. And B, like, he's right. He's not going to get those huge opportunities to be like the dude with the ball in his hands in a Chris Holtman offense. He's not ever going to be that guy. And if that's genuinely what you want, then I, I mean, now's the time to say that you don't want to be in the program because that's not going to happen for you. So, you know, I, it sucks. It sucks for Ohio State's overall talent level because I do think he's a really important defensive contributor, but he's not going to get that offensive opportunity. So what I, know, what I do wonder about long term is, you know, Holtman has looked like a pretty decent recruiter yeah, uh, in these first few classes, right? I mean, he's, he's brought in um, both new recruits and transfers. He's done pretty well in the old transfer portal. Yes. Um, and so, okay, he's able to get guys in. What I, what I wonder about, though, is is if you start seeing enough of these um, cats go out and, and go somewhere else, what does it do people just look and say, hey, you know what, this is the era of player mobility and college athletics, and that's okay? Or, or do recruits, you know, and moms and dads, look and say, mm, man, gosh, these people aren't sticking around. Uh, maybe you don't want to go there. And the first place does that, does the transfer of people out, um, you know, look poorly on you when it's time to recruit the next class versus somebody right. saying, no, Hey, let's all, we've been, we've been pulling for players to be able to have this kind of mobility um, for a long time. And now they do. And let's all just be happy about it. I wonder about that. I, I really do. And I don't, you know, I don't have any particular insight or special knowledge about how people would react to that, but I can understand, totally understand from the perspective of a, you know, potential recruit. If you see something like that, you're like, what the hell's going on with that program? Like, what's the deal? And I'm sure they're hearing it from both sides from the, you know, from Holtman and company. And then from other people who are trying to get them away from Holtman and company, they'll probably hear 15 different versions of the same story. But it's just, I don't know. I don't know what you do with that information and, and how you you know view it. Because for some people, you might see it as an opportunity. You see that and you go, well, shoot. All right. <laughs> that That's that's more room for me to shine. I'm cool with it. I want to go to that place because now there's an opportunity for me to be one of the dudes. Get 26 minutes on, you know, on the floor at night. I'm cool with that. So I don't know. It, it can cut both ways. And some people, I think you view this as a negative. It may not be for Ohio State recruiting. This is something they can say, look, we've, we've got plenty of roster space. And if you want to make an immediate impact and try to get in the league, this is the place to do it. So 
I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see how that plays out. And I'm, I'm curious to see what the next couple recruiting classes for Holman will look like. And if he ends up becoming a guy who relies more on transfers, as you kind of said. So we'll keep observing the basketball team. And as we understand and see what Chris Holtman's solution is to all these transfers will be, I'm sure he'll come up with something, like you said, Andy, probably a decent amount of transfers, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll see how that works out. But we also have a few other things that we're keeping an eye on. Hopefully, as we are, you are staying healthy and happy um, as we kind of are locked down during this whole quarantine COVID kind of thing. One guy who refused to be, you know, bound by the limits of, you know, modern medicine is, of course, Davis Swinney, who really has trained his body so thoroughly that he is immune to the effects of coronavirus and also will not spread it because as we all know, he's, he's on vacation in Florida right now. He got on his private jet plane and, and flew down there and the dude is, he's good to go. I think, I, I think that guy's healthy as an ox and, and will definitely not spread it or have it spread to him uh, by going on a personal trip right now. Things are doing I, great. I like this. Uh, as we were chatting about this with the rest of the staff and, uh, uh, Jason shared some comments from a Reddit thread. I thought this was perfect. You know, little old Clemson just get ignored by COVID-19 uh, anyway. Nothing to worry about here, you know? Yeah. It's like, that's the perfect, that's the perfect response. To, you know, you're, you're your state's highest paid public employee. Uh, couldn't you be bothered to follow the rules just this once? No. Just this once. The answer is In no. In a show of solidarity with the little people. Yeah, but the plane was sanitized, so it's fine. It's it's all right. It's He's fine. Here you go. He's totally fine. Um, he's just he's just a poor old unvaccinated country boy. He doesn't have to worry. I don't I don't know, man. Like it's God, can't you picture Dabo being an anti vaxxer too? <laughs> I have no idea. I look, I, here's here's what I can picture. This is I, I want to tell you something though, Andy. I'm glad you said this. He is his state's highest paid employee. And and whether or not he wants to pretend like he's just some guy, like, well, I don't know about science. I don't know, you know, whatever, just trying to do what I'm supposed to do. That's great, but he is the highest paid public employee in the state of South Carolina by a pretty wide margin. So when you have that kind of publicity, when that many people are paying attention to what you're doing, when you have that kind of a platform, it behooves you not to do stupid things. So I look, he can feign ignorance or claim ignorance all that he wants, and he can say, you know, this is just trying to live my life. Fine, but you've got a bigger responsibility to the state of South Carolina than just some random dude who happens to own a you know a private jet, right? Like you gotta actually like live up to what other people are expecting to do right now. What people are expecting people to do right now is to hunker down and ride this thing out as opposed to going out and you know hanging out on beaches in Florida. So I it's just stupid and it pisses me off and you know, nobody's going to hold them to account for it, but I just, I would hope that in the future, some reporter who gets access to him is going to ask him about it. Uh, just because I want to see what his reaction is going to be, because I'm sure he'll just either shrug it off or get super pissed. And I, I kind of hope it's the latter. So people can continue asking him about it. Cause he, he's stupid. This is dumb should not be doing. Yeah. The other thing that just frosts my flakes is that this is the guy who is the most adamant, maybe in all of college football, or at least the most outspoken, that you know compensating college athletes in any way right would be like the end of the space-time continuum you know somehow like the world would implode upon itself if we forked in over any of the cash to the players on the field and i'm not even saying that i'm like you know unfettered free markets to players here i'm just saying the hypocrisy of being on hand number one 
adamantly, vehemently, outspokenly opposed to compensating players. And on the other hand, flying your private jet to Florida in the middle of a quarantine. (laughs) Sorry, coach. Does not compute, you worthless SOB. Yeah, so I'm with you on that one. And I just, I don't know, man. It's it's dumb. It's silly. It's stupid. But... He's a very talented football coach. And that's one of the the that's one of the things the Ohio State beat, the very bored Ohio State beat, has been kind of dissecting and talking about for the past week or so. And and look, I'm not necessarily uh team Ari or team literally everyone else who's just <laughs> existing to piss him off. But because I'm not, and, and 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 I will say this, I will say this 100 percent Ari Wasserman, in case you haven't, you know, been privy to this discussion. Uh, has had several discussions on Twitter with people who are debating about whether it's uh, more important for a college football team to accumulate talent or to have coaching to guide that talent. And I, I will say that I think Ari makes some incredibly valid points. He's not like uninformed at all. He's a very informed individual, knows a lot about college football. Um, he got into it with Steve Deese, who has this, uh, we talked about it very briefly on the last podcast, but uh, he got into it with a Michigan podcaster and it's, it's been spilling out, you know, since then over the past week. And I, I just want to say, I don't want to say definitively where I stand because I think I can be swayed either way. Uh, but my personal take on it is that coaching in college football is the most important thing simply because they can have more of an impact on the game than talent overall. Right, because if you have a really, really garbage head coach, they can completely waste whatever talent is on your team. If you have a mediocre coach, right, and mediocre talent, you pretty much know what you're going to get. But if you have a great coach and mediocre talent, they can elevate that talent to be a really, really, really good team. They're not necessarily going to win a national championship, but I have just seen a ton of instances in college football where you've got a coach who has either a system or a way of conveying, you know, coaching ideas, things like that, that just works where they elevate their talent enormously. And that's how you see guys like Scott Frost and, you know, you know, people, you know, PJ Fleck going up and rowing the boat in Minnesota. You can't tell me that those teams were stocked with talent. And then all of a sudden, like they, you know, they just shined underneath, um, you know, guys who kind of like just got them to national prominence. I, I really think a lot of it is coaching. So to me, the the biggest exemplar of this is Ohio State in 2011 and Ohio State in 2012. That team was not demonstrably different from one year to the next. But the difference was is that Urban Meyer brought in an entire coaching staff that knew how to maximize the talent that was on the squad, realized that, you know, Braxton Miller was a better quarterback than Joe Bowserman and coached accordingly. And like, I understand that you need that talent in place to make that happen. But the the point is, is that the coaching staff in 2011 had no idea what they were doing. They were completely lost. And, and as a result, you see a losing season. So that's just my personal take on that. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll take you one better on that. I mean, look at the improvement in the play of Ohio State's wide receivers since Brian Hartline took over that year. Right. Exactly. Night and day difference, not because the talent changed. And and here's, you know, dig into this a little deeper. I, I think part of the reason it's so paramount at the college level is you have a much wider variability in the level of talent, yeah. uh, even within a team. So you get to the NFL, you know, there's that graph. They always show high school kids who think they're going to, you know, go and make it in professional sports someday. And it's, you know, if you know, only 
two percent i'm making up numbers but if it's something like you know two percent of every kid who plays high school football gets an ncaa scholarship and only two percent of those go on to play in the league and so on and so forth and so forth right. so you're talking about you know the the one percent of the one percent of the one percent by the time you get to the nfl where at the college level you still have that much you know larger number of teams more bodies per team uh and so you have this wider variation in talent ergo it's far more important that you're co- you're able to coach them at a high level, you know, or you have right. a, a much, the other thing about it too, is you have a much wider variation in backgrounds and, and exposure to good coaching. So, you know, somebody like Larry Johnson could take somebody who is uh, raw talent and he can see that talent and maybe they haven't had enough coaching and instruction on the technique side. And so you add the technique component to it and all of a sudden you've got a world beater ver you know or you the flip side of that somebody who's got all the talent in the world but but hasn't had the technical instruction or or hasn't had uh you know proper scheme i mean we're not even talking about scheme versus just technique that's the other piece of the coaching puzzle right is you come in and and there again you could see that with ohio state's defensive unit this year versus a year ago total overhaul in um, defensive schematics and what a massive improvement in output from that unit just just by changing the X's and O's. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, just it it all it all comes together. Yes, more five stars on your roster is better. If you can yeah. do that, do that. Go and get all the five stars. That's great. And then you also should be really good at coaching them up because that matters too. Right. And my point is, is that to me, if you look at the the extremes right you've got college football is is cool and the same with college basketball is because you've got literally a hundred plus teams right to be looking at in the case of college basketball obviously you've got hundreds of teams when college football you've got a hundred plus teams to be looking at i don't know that it's particularly instructive to look at the top five teams and then the bottom five teams of college football i'm more interested in what happens when a guy like pj fleck goes to minnesota right like minnesota is not a team with a ton of talent if you look at Wisconsin's recruiting classes in the past five years, they average out to like a 25, 30th ranked recruiting class mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. Like they, Jonathan Taylor was a three-star recruit. So I, my point is, is that there, it's not that I am talking about these players, these recruits individually, because when you have a three-star recruit, generally they're going to play like a three-star player. When you have a five-star recruit, they're going to play like a five-star player for the most part. Like they're going to be what the talent evaluators expect them to be. It's not unusual um, for a five-star to go out and do what they're supposed to do. It's also not unusual for a player who has really good coaching who might be a three-star, who got evaluated well, to play above what they were ranked. And that's kind of what I'm getting at, is that it's not so much that talent doesn't matter. It's that talent can be enhanced when you have the right kind of coaching. And so when you look at Ohio State, you can have a debate. You look at Alabama, you can look at Clemson, whatever. You can have that debate about whether or not their success is more contingent on the coaching or the talent. But the truth of the matter is is that when both coaching and recruiting talent is five-star caliber, you're really not going to get a whole lot year-to-year anyway. To me, I'm more interested in what happens when you've got either a – a mid-level team that has a really great recruiting class, like let's say Ole Miss, right? Remember when Ole Miss had a couple of like top five recruiting classes and everybody's like, oh, money bags, you know, like (laughs) what happened to Ole Miss? What did they do with that talent, right? Where was Ole Miss in the, you know, in the, in the uh, college playoff conversation or the BCS conversation, right? So it's great that you can have that talent, 
but I don't know that that sustains anything more than um, than coaching does. And I think you have to have the appropriate coaching to make that actually work. So again, a lot of those players who got recruited by Ole Miss and those five, they're in the NFL. They're doing great things. But that doesn't mean that Ole Miss was actually successful. Um, so that's where I think people have to focus this conversation on is what happens when you're like a B-level team and you either get a really great coach or you get some really great players. In my opinion, what has more of an impact in terms of wins is getting that really great coach. And, and look at, you know, these things kind of, nothing happens in a vacuum. So right. they influence each other. And the Nick Saban experience is a good example. Nick Saban wasn't winning national titles at Michigan State. Was he not a good enough coach? Well, no, you'd say it's exactly what you're talking about. Uh, that mid-level type team, right? So Michigan State wasn't challenging Ohio State and Michigan for Big Ten supremacy um, at, at that point in time. But Saban, you know, comes in, does his thing. And and you know the rising tide, uh, and he moves off to the crimson tide. So yeah. I, you know they're again extremely good coach, but then he gets to a place where he is able to recruit these five stars year in year out, and the dynasty. I guess you, I, I kind of brushed over the LSU experience, but um, same thing, right? You get to an area where you're recruiting NFL quality talent. You win a national title. You get to Alabama. You win multiple national titles. He was a great coach all along. You know, yeah. but then it's the circumstances. And so you have to have the bodies to get the job done. But there's a reason Alabama and God, it hurts me to say it, Clemson have been trading national <laughs> titles the last X number yeah. of years. It's because they have elite talent and exceptional coaching. Right. And it would also be important to point out that as far as Clemson goes, they've not had a top five recruiting class. I mean, yes, they've had five star athletes. They've brought in a couple of five star guys, you know, over the years and in various classes that have had an enormous impact. Trevor Lawrence is an obvious example, but they haven't had a top five recruiting class since like the 90s. And and even if people are keeping track of that. But 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 even the Yankees have a salary cap, Johnny. I mean, they can't have all of them, right? So (laughs) that's right. Um, but I guess my point is, is that it's, it's a complicated thing. And if anyone stands on, I think on any side of this and goes, well, it's, it's definitely this, it's definitely one thing or the other. I don't know that I agree with that because would Clemson, would Alabama be the teams that they are without consistent top 10 recruiting class? Probably not. I don't, I don't think that it's possible for a team that just consistently recruits in the twenties or thirties in terms of national recruiting classes to win a national championship. I think that's really difficult. On the other hand, I definitely see teams like Wisconsin specifically that does that do not really recruit very well, but because they have excellent coaching can definitely play over their head. I mean, Wisconsin is a team that's pretty much a mainstay in the big 10 championship game. Now, again, that typically means they're losing to Ohio state in the big 10 championship game, which is where you see the talent discrepancy. Um, but Wisconsin's there. I mean, this is a team that has an identity that plays really, really well, that has beaten some marquee, uh, out of conference teams in recent years. Um, they're a good team. They're a really good team, but their recruiting would not, you know, indicate that they play as well as they do. This all started with basically the comparison between Ohio state and Michigan, right? Like that, that was the whole thing. Does Michigan, does Michigan like have a talent gap with Ohio state? And the answer is pretty definitively. Yes. They they absolutely have a talent gap. Um, But the question is, do you think the talent gap is more important than the coaching gap? And in my opinion, look, I've watched almost every single Michigan game for like the past three or four seasons their coaching is so stupid in some cases it's not 
it's not that they don't know how to coach. It's not that they don't know how to scheme and all this other stuff. It's that there is no, like, there's no consistency from week to week. You might have a game where Michigan looks like world beaters. They've got an incredible scheme. All the players on the same page. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. Next week, it's totally in the toilet. And that, to me, when I talk about consistency and having an idea of who you want to be as a team, it's something I harp on a lot. I don't see that from Michigan. And I really feel that they had a head coach and a coaching staff that really knew exactly what they were going to do. That wasn't as mercutial as, as Jim Harbaugh is. Um, they could be a much better team than they are because they do have talent. They did have talent last season, just had no idea what to do with it on a week to week basis. Yeah, I, and, I put it this way. Is, is there a talent gap? Yes. And it doesn't matter because their coaching is refried booty. Right. Uh, it's, it, it, right. it's terrible. If the talent was equal if between Ohio State and Michigan, I still don't know that Michigan wins on a consistent basis against Ohio State because Ohio State just has a coaching staff that is capable of putting together a game plan and sticking to it from week to week. Now, with that said, does that mean Michigan doesn't have an opportunity? Of course not. Look, Ohio State lost to Iowa and Purdue in recent years. But it would also be important to point out that Purdue has coaching that has a consistent idea of what they're trying to accomplish with the personnel that they have. And Iowa's got a guy who is doing the same thing has been doing it for 20 plus years. So I just, that's my point. You've got to, as a football team, have a coherent identity and coaching that can get the team to play on the same page. And Michigan doesn't have that. And I agree with you. It, it doesn't, the talent gap matters, but it doesn't matter as much as the fact that the coaching just has no idea what to do with it. I mean, to me, this is the definitive argument how many national titles has Georgia won in the last 10 years? Right. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. it. I mean, they're, 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 you know, their payroll is uh, as good as anybody else's in the SEC. I think they've had something like the number one recruiting class in two of the last three years or something along those lines. I mean, they've been, right. they've been bringing in the bodies and. Yeah. Nothing. What, what Absolutely is, nothing to show for it. Nothing. And that's the thing. And that's what I'm saying, man. Like you can, people can squander talent. If the coaching doesn't know what they're doing, they can squander that talent. And that's, that's what you've seen in a lot of these places. And by that same measure, you've also seen coaches elevate mediocre talent. Um, and Scott Frost is the head coach of Nebraska right now because of that, right? PJ Fleck is at Minnesota and maybe considered for other you know jobs. If he is able to repeat what Minnesota did last season, he, I mean, shoot, that dude might be looking, you know, at SEC jobs, all that kind of stuff next season as well. So I'm just saying, man, it's, it's a complicated thing. I am i don't want to dismiss Ari or anybody else who believes that talent is the most important thing, because I think there is a reasonable argument to be made there. I don't think that's, you know, a stupid position to take or anything like that. Um I just, man, maybe I've just watched too much Michigan football. <laughs> that could honestly, like threat level might have might have melted my brain a little bit. I'm just so angry at Harbaugh's inability to field a consistently like entertaining or interesting team that I'm just so down on their coaching ability. Um that that could be it. I mean, they might have melted my brain. So, you know, that that is 100 percent a possibility. Or my brain might be melted for other reasons as well. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> let's go before, with, let's go with Michigan. Yeah, let's go with Michigan. That that makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Um before we're going to ask us anything, I do want to remind you that the 11 Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Uh you can try uh, check us out drygoods.11warriors.com shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great things. Ask us anything. You can send us questions to ask us anything to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast 
on Twitter. This question here is from Matt. Matt wants to know. Okay, it's a little less intense, I guess, than last week's question that he sent up. It was good. Um, he says he keeps hearing a coach yelling, "It is done!" and the Ohio State football hype and highlight videos. Do either of you know the origin of this phrase in the context of Buckeye football? Uh, no. <laughs> that's all i got i'm not sure where that's coming from i know what he's talking about it's in, you know the on twitter for those of you who are not yeah, yeah, yeah. there you know ohio state's got a very good like hype machine uh that they run that they constantly pumping up videos and whatnot i know what he's talking about right uh i don't know it, it's one of the i think it's one of those slogans one of those phrases that they just kind of like this is our phrase now you know this is what we say to get us pumped one of the uh, things i love about you know, this era of college sports and the hype videos. And so do you remember the year there were like the land of the wolves? I was going to mention that. I was, Oh my God, that was, <laughs> it was the most random thing in the history of, you know where it things. originates though, right? You know where it comes from? Uh, Cause I was a big fan of how stark and game of Thrones. I no, don't know. I, I don't know where did it come that's from. I, that's okay. So that's what I think a lot of people thought. It does not come from that. It comes from the movie Sicario where uh, it's uh, Benicio del Toro movie. I think Emily Blunt's in it. I can't remember. Um, but it's about like, you know, drug smuggling and stuff on the U.S. Mexican border. <laughs> and Benicio del Toro, I think, is talking to Emily Blunt or whatever. And he's like, this is a land of wolves. And what he means by that essentially is like, there are a bunch of drug dealers who will kill you and stuff. So like, <laughs> which is, of course, makes it super appropriate for the Ohio State football team. <laughs> like, to my answer was better at this point. I don't know. Yeah. What were they thinking? Yeah. So that's why it's real cool and smart for the Ohio State football team. Like, yeah, this is the land of wolves. Like, that. <laughs> Probably supposed to be like a really sad movie about you know like the violence and chaos on the U.S. Mexican border, uh, and I say football's like yeah it's freaking badass dude, um, so yeah that's where that originates and every year there's just some stupid like phrase or whatever and I don't know man I felt really guilty in high school when I was on these sports teams. And our coaches would like do similar things, you know, get us hyped up. They'd have these, these slogans and phrases that we'd say. And my teammates would be like, yeah, man. Yeah. And I'd be looking around like, this is stupid. <laughs> and I felt really bad. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, I'm like, yeah, man, what makes the grass grow? You didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> I didn't want to be that guy, but like, you know, there was an incident where we had a coach once who showed, um, full metal jacket to the team is like oh a funny like oh. you know exercise thing and i'm like dude this is not what are you doing like you know, the, i don't know there's just a lot it of funny weird... how like movies like that change like how you look at them changes over time i remember yeah. the first time i watched that movie thinking that whole scene with uh gunny hartman and and uh private pile was hilarious because right you know gunny could just sling insults and you're like this dude's right great and then you watch it years later and you're like this is yeah, some stone cold like you know like deep 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 dark stuff yeah you know? yeah so i can't imagine showing that to a football team and be like all right guys uh, well it's even worse when in your high school soccer team but regardless <laughs> and also nonsensical but <laughs> regardless yeah. all i'm saying is that there's always there's always some kind of like goofy uh you know phrase or or term or something like that so that's uh, also this week's psa youth coaches everywhere get better 
Yeah, yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's I 100% agree with that. So I don't know. I, I'm sure next year Ohio State will have a, a really great, awesome phrase, but hopefully it won't be one about like you know a movie about drug smuggling, um, <laughs> or you know anything anything else violent or sad. Just just fun. I like the Brotherhood. That was good. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, that was, yeah. yeah you know? Most of them are very good. The Wolves yeah. one is the one I just was like, I don't, I'm miss. So thank you for now. That has been something I have been wondering about. And... buddies for life should be their 2021 like <laughs> uh, best friends it. forever i think would be really good i uh um, i'm trying to remember who it was it might have this might have been relative to the ncaa wrestling tournament that didn't happen i, I can't remember it's like you know 2020 vision uh you know it's kind of like getting scuttled as something people should be able to play oh, right. off of this year because you know 2020 bad and everything right. but uh yeah. that's not bad uh okay this next one here this is from sam sam just wants to know what is your earliest uh ohio state sports related memory oh that's a good one uh i would say when ohio state played notre dame i think did a home and home in the early 90s i want to say or late late 80s early 90s okay um i want to say i was in third grade and the reason i remember this um for some reason and we didn't I didn't have a lot of Ohio state memorabilia as a kid. You know, again, we grew up on the farm, um, you know, didn't, didn't spend a whole lot of money on like extraneous stuff. Uh, and so for, but for some reason I had a t-shirt from that game and, and I remember like having a friend, I had a friend who was a Michigan fan. Um, we were born on the same day. And, and so we were kind of, you know, buddies throughout school and, he, for whatever, I think he was a Michigan fan because everyone else in town was an Ohio state fan. And he was just sure. know, wanted to be the contrarian. And, and that happens in the state. I know. So I remember just like he was giving me the business that Notre Dame was going to, you know, beat holy living <laughs> out of Ohio state. And of course it you know, didn't happen. Right. And so I was able to be a smug little bugger, uh, third grader, or whatever, year, whatever year that was. Yeah. So that's a while back. Um, that's not bad. I like that. No, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Um, my, so my first one, and I'm sure I watched Ohio state and like was aware of things. My first one that I can remember vividly, uh, was definitely Eddie George running for a trillion yards against Illinois, um, in the mid nineties. That is one that really, really sticks out to me. And I was probably nine or 10. Um, so I wasn't really young. Um, but I definitely remember that one because they kept talking all game about the record, right? You know, because he was in the way he got yardage in that game was like in chunks. Like he was getting like 20, 30 yard chunks. And it was like typically when, you know, when you watch a game like that, it, it's one of those consistent things that kind of sneaks up on you. But it felt like every single time he broke a run, it's like, okay, this is going to be the next one. He's going to get it on this one. He's going to get on this one. And so there was so much tension going into whether he was going to, you know, break a record or set a record or whatever. Um, and I just remember watching it on this, you know, cruddy little CRT TV and just being <laughs> locked in the entire game. Cause it was just, you know, I was, I was rooting and I loved watching him run the football. I mean, I love the, you know, running game since I was a kid. Cause I just liked watching guys like bounce off of running backs and, you know, try to tackle and can't and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that game against Illinois reset the record is definitely that's probably my most vivid early memory i also remember the rose bowl against arizona state really well and i know i was like probably 10 years old when that happened um and i remember that one because ohio state was down and my dad offered to bet me five bucks that ohio state was going to lose and i didn't take it and i should have taken it because i would have made five bucks 
bucks. I would have been <laughs> for a ten year old kid. Five dollars is a lot of money. So that was legit. Yeah, and then with inflation in the mid nineties, I mean, come on, it's like ten dollars today. So um, I guess I, I guess that year uh, that Notre Dame game, I had to look this up because it was driving me crazy. It was ninety five. Okay, there you go. Ninety five September thirty nineteen ninety five. Well, so I was a little older. Then I realized I was thinking like for some reason I had in my head it was like in third grade. I'm picturing being in Mrs. Chestnut's class at Webster Elementary, uh, and this was a few years after that. So, it's a fantastic I, name. 1995. Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Chestnut's a pretty darn good name. I like oh, that. she was fantastic. Yeah, one one of my best teachers ever. Nice. I actually I used to work with a guy at my alma mater. I mean, I say work with. I was a substitute teacher while he was there. Uh, <laughs> uh, named uh, Pancake. His last name was Pancake. So, yeah. shout out. and by the way, we—that's a mutual I friend. I know, I know Pancake. That's right. You know Chris Pancake. Shout out. Yeah, shout out to Chris Pancake if he's listening. Um, so that's ask us anything. Keep sending those in. We love answering them. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week to to do a little bit more of that. So until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy, and we'll see you next time. So basketball, basketball is something that we are obviously going to be focusing on a little bit as as we figure out what Chris, Chris, hello, God damn it, I'm going to do that again. (laughs) Crispin Glover's solution is. Okay, we'll do it live.